This is On Your Radar, a podcast series featuring the expert clinical and medical staff at Rosecrans. I'm John Williams. In this podcast, we're focusing on the impact the COVID-19 pandemic has had on school faculty and staff and the challenges they face every day. Joining us today are Matt Quinn, Rosecrans Director of Chicagoland Services, and Marie Goulet, who is the Assistant Director of Special Education at New Lenox School District Number 122. Matt, welcome to our studios. Nice to meet you. Yeah, it's nice to meet you as well. Thanks for having me. You oversee the Chicago, the, the city operations. Correct, huh? and that includes our, our satellite offices around the suburbs of Chicago as well. So while we want to talk about maybe the impact on the educational sphere, you can deal with that as well as a whole host of other topics. You see everything in Chicago. Absolutely, and I know traditionally we have a substance use focus and substance use history, but we want to make sure to emphasize for people we can assess for all various kinds of mental health needs, and, and if one of our services doesn't fit, then we could certainly provide services for them or, or refer them to services in the area. So, and Marie, you are Assistant Director of Special Education at New Lenox. What does that mean you do? So I, in in part with two other, um, the director and another assistant director, um, oversee about 900 special education students on a, a wide variety of spectrums um, from resource services to um, individualized programming um, dependent on student needs, um, as well as oversee our social workers um, and work with general education teachers as well. So I guess you get a pretty good feel for what it's like on the ground in the schools then. Yes, I am in in the trenches, um, not just in an office somewhere. Um, And I guess not just for our purposes here, just on special ed, but education in general as well. Although, did you notice maybe special education staff felt the impact of COVID more than general education staff? I do think it impacted special educators in a different way. Um, I also think that special education had a little bit of a of a of a heads up before COVID came. Um, Why do you say that? Just just in our dealing with a lot of things that impacted everyone else during COVID. So um, trauma, anxiety, stress. I think general educators have been dealing with that for. Um, the duration of their careers, whether it's with our students or with themselves. And so I think what has happened during the last 20 months is that the rest of educators have got a glimpse into what us special educators have been dealing with for the entirety of our career. And, you know, maybe baristas or firefighters or talk show hosts would all say, oh, no, wait a minute. It was it was worse for me because here was my experience. Uh, I, I'm going to guess that everybody's experience was unique, but also similar. And so maybe the, uh, but boy, the educators really were asked to do the impossible, weren't they? Absolutely. And everything I'm hearing from Marie and, and te- friends of mine that are teachers, from my kids' teachers, it's it, time is the commodity that, that they've lost and, are, and have, have not gotten it back. You know, everything I've heard is that even before COVID, time was a commodity that was short. Time in the classroom, you mean? Time to attend to the students? That sort of More thing? so time to be able to lesson plan, time to be able to take care of special, special needs and all of those things. And now, now it's even shorter. You know, because of all of the catching up that needs to be done, because of because of kids falling behind in, in the classroom and new initiatives and and all of these things to try to catch up, it's created this time crunch that I hear and over and over and over again is the commodity that that teachers just want and and they they struggle to get still. What have they said they lost the most that they wish they had more of? And I don't mean time. I mean if they could if they did have more time, what would they be doing more of? Well, I think the big thing that's happened last year and this year with the loss 
loss of instructional time, whether it was due to remote learning or hybrid or a lot of districts like ours had the benefit of being in person for a large part of the year. Um, but I think what has happened as a result of the pandemic is there's been a loss of social skills. And so I think teachers fundamentally have become therapists mm-hmm. in the classroom. And so we've gone back to relationship building. So the the focus has not been only on academics, and this happened pre-pandemic, but it's been on therapeutic skills and relationship building and social skill development. So I think a lot of what teachers are asking for is how do I incorporate social emotional learning with everything else that I have to do? Were you surprised with the trend of vandalizing school bathrooms and buildings this past year? So TikTok um, has been quite an interesting addition to the educational landscape. Um, So the vandalization, the challenges of hitting and harming teachers, um, there's been you saw more of that. Oh, there's definitely been an uptick. Um, I think we have one boys' bathroom in particular that we were changing soap dispensers on on a daily basis. Were you surprised to hear this? I mean, what a weird thing. I feel so out of the loop just because stuff like TikTok is so you know, means I'm getting old, I suppose. But stuff like that is just so off my radar. So it's kind of distressing to hear that. Yeah, although I would though, um, it seemed to me like last year when we recorded a podcast, not unlike this one, but more trying to anticipate what the challenges would be. Some folks from Rosecrans were visiting with us and they said, you need to be prepared for a lack of civility or a lack of social skills that the kids living in this environment now thrust back into a different environment that is the academic environment, will have lost a step. They won't know how to cope as well. And lo and behold, they're, they're tearing toilets and sinks off of walls and soap dispensers. And I, I remember when this phenomenon was first talked about this year, I said, I've heard about this before it even happened. I didn't know it was going to be like this. I didn't know what the, the actions were going to be, how it manifests itself. But it sure did sound like what you all were telling us we might see. We anticipated it. You know, not to that extent. I think all, all of the conversations around planning for this year were planning for incorporating more social emotional learning, preparing for the anxiety we knew was going to walk through the door, whether it was our students, our staff, our families. And now that we are in it, I don't know that anyone could have possibly anticipated the true need. And so I think the displaced anger and frustration around what has happened and is continuing to happen is manifesting itself in a lot of different ways. And so when people feel that they don't have control over anything, it comes out in a variety of ways. And for kids, it usually comes out in anger. And maybe the staff doesn't feel, maybe the teachers don't feel like they have control over these things. I wonder what they do. So what do we see them doing to cope with that? That's a question for you. I wonder if if that's that's what leads teachers to high levels of anxiety or maybe uh, alcohol or substance abuse. Yeah, because they're. I think it's it's easy to think because they're the professionals that they're that they're immune from these same anxieties. They they feel they feel sometimes unsafe coming back to school if if masks are an issue, or they may feel like they, it's a big struggle for them as well. But I think it's easy to to think, well, they're the professionals, they're the teachers, they know what to do, but they're going through this just along right alongside this the students 
Boy, and I've had a number of conversations over the last year with school superintendents and school board members. And if they say, okay, we're going to do this, mask or no mask, vax or no vax, hybrid or in person or whatever, half the school's going to be upset. Somebody's going to be angry no matter what you do, right? That's correct. There's not a handbook for COVID school, and everyone is just doing the best. And so you are not going to make everyone happy. Um, And at the end of the day, all educators want to do is educate. We want our kids in the buildings and our kids in the classrooms in whatever manner it takes to get them in there. Um, And I think a big piece of the anger is not being able to make everyone happy um, and a big source of stress for the teachers are you know, bearing the brunt of of the parents and families that are not happy about whatever the mandates are. And if really the reason teachers are there is to teach, you know, they're not healthcare professionals, they're not psychologists, they're all of those things and always have been. But at the end of the day, they're trying to teach reading, writing, arithmetic and stuff like that. And I would imagine they feel like they lost a year. Is that true? It is true. I think it's true for teachers, it's true for parents, it's true for students, it's true for janitorial staff. I think anyone who works in the building is impacted by that. And so what is it like then back in the classroom now? Are they trying to catch up from last year, or are they just saying that's the best we can do, but now we're on to Algebra 2? I think it's yes and. You know, it's it's meeting our students where they are. Some students have never been in school before. You know, we have first and second graders who have not experienced the classroom. And so it's teaching fundamental foundational skills of how to put papers in envelopes, you know, and so it's really meeting them where they are. I'm thinking of kids that are new to a junior high or high school, too, because that's a big transition. When you go from eighth grade to ninth grade, wow, you know, everything is bigger and louder and faster. And if you missed your chance to learn about that your freshman year, um, I suppose you're almost emotionally behind a year. I've I've seen it firsthand these past couple months with my daughter who who is new to middle school this year and just all the the anxieties that come along with that and and not being in school to keep those social skills sharp and all of those things have just greatly impacted coming back to the school in a new environment. And I suppose we were talking a little bit before we recorded this podcast about my son who works at the Chicago Public Schools and how his first year in class was this year, but his student teaching year was the Zoom year last year, and how heart-wrenching it was to look at a computer screen to see avatars not knowing if there's anybody behind them. And when he would pitch out an idea to the students, he would get no response. And sometimes even the regular teacher with whom he was learning wouldn't get much of a response. And it, it, it was soul-crushing for somebody who wanted to learn to be a teacher. I suppose it was soul-crushing for the regular teachers, too, huh? It was, and and I think it still is to an impact. You know, teaching is all rooted in relationships, and, and how do you make a relationship, whether you're a new teacher or a veteran teacher, through a screen? And so I think everyone punted and did the best that they could last year, and now this year we're really undoing a lot of damage that was done. I mean, everyone did a phenomenal job, you yeah. know, and, and I use my, my own son as a barometer. He was in fourth grade last year, and, and I kind of look at last year as a lost year because he was remote for a large majority of the year. Well, my son would say I, I, 
I think I'm, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but it was something along the lines of, I felt like I failed. And I said, I think plenty of teachers feel that way too. And these are veteran teachers who, who know how to do the job, let alone are just trying to learn to do the job, which is a whole new level of stress and anxiety for an academic then, isn't it? Yeah, and I know I, now having talked to Marie and, and some other people, you know, I, I thought going into this year, okay, now we get back to normal. And everything I'm hearing is just, it's even harder this year because there was a, a getting by almost an acceptance of a getting by last year whereas this year we got to catch up we got to catch up we got to do this we got to do that and that takes away and chips away more at the time that that time that we talked about and creates even more distress and more pressure and then you combine that with students coming back and the, their anxieties their their social issues so it's i've heard over and over again that this year has been even harder than, than last year is that would you agree with that? I I absolutely agree. Agree. Matt and I were were chatting, you know, a few days ago, and and I had shared the phrase with him. Uh, you know, teachers have a phrase. You know, I'm May tired. You know, to indicate how they're feeling at the end of the year. And so it was in September, saying I, I'm May tired in <laughs> September. Wow. Um, and so that really is indicative of of how everyone's stress and anxiety levels are are feeling this year. And so I I think that. No one goes into education because they want to. I think people are called to education because they feel that need to give back in in that way. And so, you know, just like your son, just like every single person that I work with, we take it very personally when when we're not able to meet a student's needs. Um, And it it hits us very hard. And that increases the anxiety because we want to do the best that we can for all of our students. Well, I got mad at those avatars just because I was watching my son have to deal with it. And then I thought, maybe that's not fair to those kids because the kid who hasn't turned his camera on hasn't turned it on for a variety of reasons. Among them, he's 14, and he's in a weird space right now, too, which kind of breaks your heart all over again, doesn't it? It does, and and we don't know what's happening in those homes. There's a multitude of reasons why they may not turn those cameras on, and so I think really looking through that that lens um, of empathy and all those reasons helps helps to take some of that pressure off. And then you get mad at the masks and the vaccine or the lack of a vaccine or the compliance with the masks and the vaccine. I mean, what a conundrum that's been. Yeah, we're not even talking about the whole safety component to returning to school. We're talking about all these other challenges. But, you know, this is this is a, a deadly disease that we're talking about and returning to, to all being back in, in classrooms and all of that. So what do we tell faculty and staff what are some things that they can know or do find ways to give their staff more time short shorten meetings um cut out cut out no no new curriculums no no not minimize new initiatives it's all about trying to trim what what they have on their plate give give them more time and i think being cognizant of you know no new initiatives but also really realizing that that the work is building and maintaining relationships, teaching students how to be students. You know, I think we're very fortunate in our district. We have leadership that understands that. And so the beginning of the year was filled with those messages. We're, we're not worrying um, 
just about academics. We are also worrying about the social and emotional well-being of our staff and our students. And so it's not just about the scores on the paper. Hmm. That sounds so rudimentary. You know, it's um, maybe difficult for some parents to accept that or understand that, or maybe even faculty and staff, that rather than focusing on the grades and how far we're progressing in a curriculum, no, let's just let's just focus on how to be a student, how to learn. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. We, we're not going to make progress on, on the paper unless we are able to regulate ourselves and learn some fundamental coping skills. And that goes for students and staff. (laughs) You know, if we don't have those executive functioning skills, and we're not managing our time, and we're not prioritizing, um, two plus two isn't going to matter. But from a Rosecrans point of view, so this is the set of circumstances that an educator would come to you all with. Correct. And, and generally, it's going to be someone we all have. We all have our limits. You know, some people it's it's a higher limit than others in terms of being able to manage and cope with this. And we're we're, we're usually looking at people that are are fraying, and and they're starting to really have trouble being able to to navigate and manage life. And that's where we want to be. If people can cope with this, but we want to be a resource for people that are really starting to struggle and. and fray and not be able to to push forward because it's it's not going away and it's and it's people need to have those those skills to be able to do that yeah i suppose the question for someone then is well of course i'm struggling it's a pandemic i'm in a classroom with a superintendent who's fighting with the parents so what do you expect so maybe i guess my point is the uh, dysfunction i'm experiencing is normal i wonder how i know when what I'm experiencing is not normal, that I actually do need to reach out to some sort of agency. Yeah, going back to, to my, my education, it's all about functionality. You know, if, if you could cope, cope well enough to function, then you might be doing okay. When you start to see that the functioning start to, to fall off, and, the, that, and that's not just at school, that's at home. Maybe your functionality as a husband or your functionality as a, as a father or your function, whatever the case may be, if you start to see that really fall off, that should be your, your hallmark that it might be the right time to start to reach out for help. We do sort of rob Peter to pay Paul, don't we? We say, well, I'm going to be as good as I can in the classroom, but I'm not going to have anything left for my husband or wife or kids. Or I'm going to make sure I'm here for my husband and kids, but now I'm I'm not all I need to be in the classroom. And I guess it's trying to figure out that balance. Absolutely. Because you could be coping and doing fine because you're you're a, a super, you know, a rock star teacher. But at home, if you're, if you're starting to see your marriage, then you need marriage counseling maybe you're doing okay in this in the classroom but if that's starting to to crumble then you need to take care of that then too somebody said to me once good kids great job clean house pick two and i suppose there's something along those lines here i mean this must have really brought it to the fore but i'd like to think though that you could fortify people on all those fronts right make them as all they can be for their family for their spouse uh, for their job and the students in the classroom. Absolutely. There's there's skills that, in terms of managing all of this and coping, there's skills that translate across all these different aspects. Like what? What are some of these skills we're talking about? Oh, I could be as basic. And my, my, my daughter and I have been talking about different deep breathing exercises and, uh, you know, di- di- and gr- distraction and grounding techniques and, and all of these different real core principles. What's that a I think, distraction and grounding technique? Where you... you Instead of the internal stress that you're feeling inside, you're able to externalize that onto something. It could be a mental task. It could be something physical. 
It could be uh, taking a shower to kind of feel the warm water on you. It could be washing your hands. Or it could be mental. It could be uh, naming, you know, actively naming uh, 1070s sitcoms. I mean, I know that sounds ridiculous, but the whole point is to to distract you away from – I don't know why I came up with that. No, but But just to distract you away from what is in your mind. Sometimes the more you're in it, you just stay in it. And sometimes you just need to simply do anything to get yourself out of your head. Not to make it about my son again, but so during the pandemic – He took it upon himself to memorize the Oscar winners in every category from 1940 on. That's a coping skill. And I thought, okay, and I knew movies was his hobby. He's a cinephile, so fine. But then he'd say, pick a year. We go 1963, and then he would give you all of the nominees for Best Actress or something like that. And it was kind of fun, but I guess wittingly or otherwise, it was more than that, wasn't it? Absolutely. He, he was distracting himself from what we, what, all the distress he was feeling. It's only temporary. I mean, in terms of good cognitive behavioral therapy, sometimes it takes time to shift your, your re- repeated negative thought patterns. You know, there's, there's a, a lot of other interventions that are kind of more ongoing that you can do, but these are kind of these are kind of more quick, deep breathing, you know, exercise. Those are kind of things that you could come back to over and over and over again. They're going to provide that. that Does that work for everybody? To, to varying degrees, some combination of those hopefully will. But it's going to, for some people, that stuff might be a struggle. And they need more of that kind of long-term cognitive behavioral or dialectical behavioral therapy, kind of that emotional management. Does that mean sitting down with a counselor once a week or doing some sort of Zoom chat? Yep. Ideally, because it's a lot of that is is more curriculum based, where you have to kind of talk through specific cognitive distortions and all of these types of things that that do require a little bit of initial education, and then you could kind of dig into it. So that would be more suited for a counselor, whereas some of these other kind of more quick skills can be utilized by anyone. By anyone, by themselves, maybe. I'm thinking, though, well, maybe I have all of these feelings and I'm going to be very healthy or even proactive about it, so I'm going to talk to somebody. But it's going to be a colleague at work, which Mm -hmm. might feel good, but I wonder if that's the same as the ears that a Rosecrans would provide. Depends on how good a job the colleague is of doing. Because if, if you're empathic and validating and really listening, you're, you're doing half the job of a therapist. You know, if you're really doing a good job of listening, then that's going to be incredibly valuable because just getting that off your chest is going to be. And then in the other half of these skills that we're talking about, but it, if that person is listening and hearing you out, that's, that must be really tough and just listening through it. Do people, when they do unload to a colleague or let's, let's stay with Rosecrans here, when they're talking to you, is it an individual or is it in a group, say? It's both. It's and both. does that, do they come away going, whew, I feel I have more air in my lungs now or no? That's the hope. It depends. Depends on how overwhelming they're feeling. It could be it could be tricky if someone's feeling really overwhelmed. If they start to talk about it, they could start to get it could start to be a big release and could be it could make them temporarily almost worse. Generally speaking, that's kind of more at the far end. Generally speaking, most people, if they have an opportunity to get off their chest, they're going to feel some immediate relief from them. And by and large, would you say if this educator has been a healthy person? mentally, physically, emotionally, but now they're just overwhelmed. Um, These kinds of techniques, do they sort of, um, I don't want to say fix it, but they're they're sufficient. They're able to cope. They're able to get along. Yeah, because some of this is stuff that they can't get away from. 
That's why we use the term cope. Cope implies inescapability, that you have to find your way through all of these challenges that, unfortunately, they're not going to just be given half of their time back during the school day. It's just not going to happen. So they have to figure out these tools that are going to at least temporarily get them by until it can until it could be better or until the summer or whatever the case may be. So I guess that gives you hope in a seemingly hopeless situation. I've got techniques that I can use to get me through this and we're going to get through this. This thing isn't going, even if this thing is there forever, it won't be as acute as it is now. Correct. Well, and I think the the more that the adults can do and learn, the more that they can infuse that into the classroom. You know, and the, the, the one-offs that Matt was talking about with the regulation and the distraction and the grounding techniques, that's all things that we're implementing into the classroom right now. Um, and so I think that the, the more information and the more help that the adult educators are comfortable getting and know that's available for them, the more prepared they're going to be able to be in the classroom. You know, it's the, it's the oxygen mask theory. You know, you, you have to secure your own oxygen mask first before you can help someone sitting next to you. Um, it's no different with educators. So what's your prognosis? I mean, for teachers, educators generally, faculty and staff, what do you see happening in the year going forward? I think as everyone is wrapping their heads around the fact that the educational landscape is different and it's not going back um, to pre-COVID, I think we're moving into an acceptance phase. Uh, and I and I think once we get there, then we can really move forward into now what is the work that needs to be done? What can we do? What is possible? Maybe what's a realistic expectation, too. Absolutely. Because 2020 couldn't be like 2019. I would hope that 21 or 22, 23 people um, have a realistic expectation. Don't beat themselves up because they weren't able to do it pre-pandemic. Yeah, and I think I think you hit the nail on the head with expectation. I think it's lowering expectations, but in a really meaningful way. Lowered expectations don't mean that your standards aren't as high. It means that the expectations are different, and different is not bad. I think there's a lot of opportunities right now to have some very meaningful conversations and make some very meaningful and needed changes that um, we've been looking at making for a long time. And then maybe those are changes that are... um uh, professional and personal. Maybe I'm going to need to start to... St- <laughs> uh, so I've ran into this roadblock during the pandemic, but it really wasn't the pandemic. That was me. I need to have the coping mechanisms in order to deal with, because maybe next it's going to be a crisis in my marriage or some other trauma in the family. I need to have these tools in my belt, don't I? Absolutely. I mean, you need you need these skills. At some point in life, life happens, whether it's the death in the family, it's marital distress. So I guess that could be the silver lining in all of this, is if if no. if these skills are being built, they're gonna they're they're gonna cross over to when life happens. I think that's a good place to end it. Is there something else you guys want to add? Any other bit of wisdom or observation that um, that you have that you want to pass along? No, I, I I do think though I think it's hopeful. You know, even though it is so overwhelming right now, I do think there's a lot of hope in in where we are, and I think not getting stuck 
in in the overwhelmedness of all of it, you know, and, and knowing that the the way out is through, you know, and, and I think that we're we're slowly getting there. You used the word hope a couple of times, and I suppose you have too. I don't know that either of you know this, but the commercial I read frequently on the radio uses the word hope. And I think in the past, I, when we first started doing those commercials, I thought, well, hope is something you hope just happens to or for you. You know, it's a, it's wishful thinking, but it does not have to be. That is, if you back it up then with a plan and with opportunity, et cetera, et cetera, then um, um, hope is a good thing to have. Yeah, I think hope is a verb. You know, it doesn't happen <laughs> on its own. Yeah, yeah, it's a good way to put it. How about you? And finding support. You know, if, if it's an administrator, if it's a, if it's a counselor, if it's the in order to get through this adjustment period that we're in, and I'm calling it an adjustment because I'd like to think as time goes on, we'll all kind of settle into a new normal with all of this. But just building as much people in that support system that can that can help kind of push you through this adjustment period that's going to be better. That is Matt Quinn, the Rosecrans Director of Chicagoland Services, and also joining us today, Marie Goulet, who is the Assistant Director of Special Education at the New Lenox School District Number 122. Marie and uh, Matt both, thank you for coming in. Yeah, thanks for having thank us. Thank you. Well done. I'm John Williams. For more help, counseling, and information, you can always visit Rosecrans at rosecrans.org. Rosecrans.org. Life's waiting. This is On Your Radar, Frontline Workers and the Impact of COVID-19, a podcast series produced by WGN Radio and the doctors and clinical staff at Rosecrans. With over 60 locations throughout Chicagoland, northern and central Illinois, Wisconsin, and Iowa, help is just a click or call away. Go to rosecrans.org or call 866-830-8729 for more guidance and information. Rosecrans. Life's waiting.